If you have your Bibles, why don't you take them out right now? We'll be in Matthew chapter 7. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 7, or ver- the passage will be verses 24 to 27, but as you're turning there, I'll just invite you again, kind of on, on, the, on what Cody said about the missions night tonight. Um, we're going to gather here tonight, and it's going to be really good. We're going to hear from, the, there's a, one really cool thing happening in Ridgeview this year, and that is that we're sending out a whole lot of people to other places, uh, uh, some uh, not so short term. So uh, come tonight, hear from them. It'll be really good to, as a church, just gather together like that. We'll be having a meal together, uh, and, then, and then we'll be hearing from our different missionaries. And there'll be a really special time of prayer for those, especially going out on short-term missions, and then for one who's going on a, uh, a little bit longer of a, of a journey overseas, uh, Abigail. And uh, I'll let her tell her story tonight. So please be a part of that. Um, if you can, tonight, 5.30, we'll just have a really nice time together uh, as a church as we celebrate the gospel going out to the nations. Uh, it's such a privilege to be a church that is involved in that. God is, has richly blessed us that way. All right, so our passage today, it's Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. So the word of God says this. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came. The winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray again. Oh Lord, we come to you wanting to be like the wise builder who built his house upon the rock, and not like the foolish man. We don't want to be fools. We, we can see in your word the consequence, the eternal ramifications for that. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear this morning, open hearts, undistracted minds. Oh, Lord, help us to, to, to really feel both the weight of the warning and the sweetness of the promise that's in this passage. May that shape the way we do this week and the way we do this life. I I pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to have hard hearts today, Lord. Soften our hearts. Help us to let go of our pride. Help us to let go of our supposed self-righteousness. And help us to cling to Christ. Thank you for your word and the way that it does such a, a work among us as a church. And I pray that this morning you continue that work in us all. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, help me to be invisible. Help the focus not to be on me, not even on like, may it be upon the word and upon Christ our attention, our focus. So help me to get out of the way and to point your people to you. And I do pray for your help in that. In my weakness, I pray that you'd help me to point your people to you through the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.
So how does one wrap up the greatest sermon ever preached? That's where we are today, right? This is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're at the very end of it. We've been in it for a long time. So what do we do right at the end? How do we, how do we process what we have heard? And how shall this sermon, which that Jesus preached to us, how will it leave a mark on our lives? And add just a few more questions. Like, what's at stake for my life? What's at stake for your life? What's at stake for our church? What if the Sermon on the Mount leaves no mark whatsoever on my life? What if it leaves no mark on your life? What if it leaves no mark on the church? These are the questions that are, this passage answers today. So I hope you're asking them. Jesus wraps up his sermon with a great illustration, uh, a simile, not a metaphor, I think. It's a simile, right? When things are like, yeah, anyway. Simile, to help us see the importance and feel the importance of hearing Jesus' words in the sermon and doing them. And of course, the danger of not doing them. The simile, I think, is very clear. One house stands and one house falls. We should stop here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount and pay close attention because we don't want to be like that foolish chap who built his house on the sand and has only rubble to show for it. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to press into Jesus' illustration. There are two houses. And you and I, let's let's just press into the illustration, shall we? We are house shopping And it's come down to these two houses. They're the only ones available on the market. And the realtor, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, is going to walk us through both houses and make a comparison between the two so that we would make the right choice. Which house to live in, which house to build. He will point out some similarities between the two houses. I was really struck by the similarities in the language between the two sides that he builds up for this simile. So it's worth considering what is the same between these two. And then there are huge differences that should mean everything to us. And so that's where we'll end on the big differences here. We obviously want to be like the guy who built his house on the rock. So let's ponder together so that we adequately hear the warning here and resolve to live as hearers and doers of God's word, not mere hearers. So what is the same about the two sides of the simile? Let's, let's just go through that. So first, both the wise builder and the foolish builders, they're both hearers of Jesus' words. Note that. They're both hearers of Jesus' words. They've, they've both given audience to Christ. They have both listened to his sermon. They've, they've heard his words. They've heard Jesus teach them. They're both hearers. Just as you and I are, are hearers of his words, Right? And you know what that means? It means that it is not the mere hearing of the word that makes the real difference in your life. It is not the mere hearing of, it's not the hearing of the word alone that makes the difference. It's not even hearing the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever. 
or reading it in the Gospels, reading it in, 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 in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or, or spending a year working our way through it. That's, that's not what makes the determinative difference in your life, whether you'll be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock or like the fool who builds his house on the sand. Hearing is a crucial aspect to it, for sure, no doubt. And, and something we should give thanks for, that we have, we have heard the words of Jesus. You know, it is God's grace that you have heard. It is God's grace that we have heard God's word. I have spent time among peoples who have not had that privilege to hear God's words. We have God's word. We, we hear it. We are hearers. What a privilege, but... Yet that hearing alone is not the decisive difference between the wise man and the fool. So the first similarity between these two houses is both the builders are hearers of Jesus' words. The second similarity is between the two builders themselves. And it's, it's very obvious. It is that they both build houses. That is, they both have a life. They both, they, they both adopt values. They both live according to a certain standard. They both pursue things in life. They both seek things. They both treasure things. They both worship things. They both build houses. And likely, their houses look very similar on the outside. The the curb appeal, perhaps, is very similar. And likely, their their houses, both of these houses, look like the one that you have built, or the one that you are building, and the one that I have built the one that I'm building. One thing that will keep you from heeding the warnings of Jesus that he's presenting in our passage is if you think of one side of this simile as this like good, clean cut, Christian, right? This nice, well-painted house. And on this other side, this shabby rundown shack, this Christian or this guy, this guy who hates Jesus and whose eyes glow red, that will keep you from like identifying in this simile or hearing and heeding the warnings here. Because I want you to note that both of these guys build houses. We have a way of dismissing warnings because we think we're not so bad. But the way I have read these warnings in chapter seven is that there, you know, Jesus makes it clear there are vast similarities and even outward appearances that are the same, a look of piety and righteousness, a look of righteousness that is similar between the ones Jesus is condemning and the ones that he is promising life to. They both build houses, maybe even nice houses. You know, remember, friends, many are traveling through the wide gate. Wolves look like sheep. They dress like sheep. Trees look similar, just the fruit's different. Ones Jesus does not know and will banish from his presence, still call him Lord, Lord, and still claim to do mighty works in his name. Both of these builders build houses. Do not think that you are exempt from this warning because you go to church or because you refer to yourself as a Christian. That is perhaps the most dangerous thing we could do this morning. Just dismiss this because we're religious and our religious house looks nice on the outside. The next thing that both of these houses have in common is that they're both, they both experience storms. In fact, identical language is used for both, right? The rains fell, floods came, winds blew, beat against the house. Now, what do you think? Does that, does that 
mainly refer to the storms of life that we go through? Or does it mainly refer to the judgment that's at the end of the age? In other words, is Jesus warning us that a foundationless house will not stand up to life's hardships and testings and trials? Or is he warning us that it won't stand up to that day when Jesus judges the living and the dead? Mainly, I think that Jesus has in mind the final judgment. And the reason I think that, besides the context, the way he's been talking about this for a while, is because of the collapse of the foundationless house and how final he makes that sound. For the man who built his house on the sand, there does not seem to be any recovery. The emphasis is the greatness of that collapse at the end of verse 27. It seems to be without remedy, without second chances, without any sort of redemption. Jesus says, sadly, and great was the fall of it. So along with verses 13 through 14 and the wide gate that leads to destruction... And verse 19, the tree that's cut down and thrown into the fire. And verses 21 through 23, regarding those whom Jesus banishes from his presence forever. I think Jesus is again warning us about the eternal condemnation judgment at the end of the age that awaits those who are not in Christ. Every one of those warnings ought to wake us up. (laughs) Every one of them. Jesus is not sugarcoating the reality of hell. He is putting it right in our faces, right? He's saying, you don't want to go there. But if you will not heed my words, Jesus is saying, you will. I think it's a gracious warning to us about eternal judgment. And yet, I also think it has daily implications for our lives. There are storms all through life. Rains of doubt, winds of temptation, Floods of sin, they come in different seasons of our life. We face these things. House-shaking storms come, right? And if your faith is built on any other foundation other than Christ, your house will not stand. That's true about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the point of this passage, it's true about all of the words in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't simply need the gospel or need the Sermon on the Mount so that you can survive the final judgment. You need the gospel and you need the Sermon on the Mount for all of life. Let me say that again, okay? Hear me. You need the gospel and you need the Sermon on the Mount for all of life. You need to hear and do the words of Christ so that you'll flourish now and not doing so leads to suffering always. Not heeding the gospel, not heeding the words of Christ leads to suffering. Let's just take one example, one with which I think you can relate. Okay, so in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Jesus, I talked about forgiveness last time too, but I'm going to talk about it again. Jesus taught us about forgiveness, right? And he stresses the connection between our standing with God and our forgiveness with, of other people. Right? He's tying those two truths together. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So there is something about final judgment in view there, right? If you refuse to forgive others, you demonstrate a complete lack of genuine forgiveness. And you will find yourself, according to Jesus, unforgiven on that day. I think the point is that people who are truly forgiven, who understand the forgiveness of our sins by God because of the work of Christ, 
on the cross, they are people who forgive. One who is forgiven, forgives. I think that's what Jesus is teaching us. And that has final implications for you. Like decisive, eternal implications for you. And we also know that unforgiveness is a storm for us in this life with winds and rains and floods that beat against our hearts. Like if you have an unforgiving spirit, there are implications for your life today that you face and you deal with and you suffer because of. We, we, we know what living with an unforgiving spirit looks and feels like, don't we? I, bitterness is not a nice word in English, is it? It doesn't even sound good. A bitter life is not one that experiences the kind of flourishing that God would have us to have in Christ. Fighting through to forgiveness with God's strength and grace and based on God's grace to us in Jesus, that leads to present flourishing. We, we learn to forgive others and that's so much better than harboring bitterness. Living in a forgiving way helps us now. My, my point is this, not heeding the Sermon on the Mount will lead to final collapse of your house for sure. That's his point here. That's his main point. But it will also make the house unstable all your days. While following Jesus' words and applying them to your life in a serious, Christ-centered, faith-filled, spirit-empowered, gospel-centered way will bring about stability through the storms of life. So both houses face storms, both in this life and in the, and the final storm. We all face these things in life and we will all stand before the judge one day. The final similarity that I want to note here as we look at both of these houses is that you can see the entire history of both of these houses on display. The, the real, this passage, it tells us everything about these two passages, these two houses. You, you can see the beginning, right? You can see how it was built. You got a whole history here before you. And you can see the present, the ongoing way this house is, the day-to-dayness of both of these houses and even the future of both of these houses. It's all, all there written for us. Should be very helpful as you choose your house. The beginning is how this house is built and right away there is a huge difference. One guy goes with sand and the other guy goes right down to the bedrock. Uh, Luke records this a little bit differently. I think it's the same thing. He just, he, he, he recorded it from a different angle as it were. Luke records this in, in chapter six, Luke six, 47 through 48. And I just want to read this because it helps us see another aspect of it. it. Jesus said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the, the stream broke out against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. And I wanted to read that version of it because I think it hits right at, the, at, the, at, at why most people don't take Jesus' words to heart. And it's something that Jesus has already mentioned. This is the hard way. Building your house on the rock is the hard way. It is so easy to just go with the flow. It is easy and quick to just start building the house, right? Site prep, I mean, that takes some work. Digging, pouring a foundation, that takes real effort. The Christian life is not the easy way. 
We've seen that in the sermon. Jesus calls us to radical, at least as compared to the world, radical, a radical life of loving others and forgiving others and caring about our heart and not just the religious motions that we make. He calls us to lay up our treasure, the, the treasure of our heart in heaven and not on earth. He calls us to mourn our sin and come to him poor in spirit and dependent on his grace and his mercy, which by the way, only comes through Jesus Christ and his saving work. The beginning, the the building of these two houses is everything. One guy digs down until he hits rock because he knows the storms are coming and the winds are gonna blow and that there will be, there's no other way to keep the house standing except to build it on a firm foundation. The other guy thinks it doesn't really matter. So long as the house itself looks nice. You know what I mean? I mean, you do, I think. No one wants a shabby looking house. I spent all summer trying to make my house look less shabby. No no one wants a shabby looking house. I I bring this up all the time. And uh, Brandon actually brought this up in his testimony a few weeks ago. Because it's one of the great dangers, I think, of our Midwestern Nebraska nice culture. We care very much about how the outside of the house looks. We want it to look nice and kind and generous and even, dare I say it, Christian. We want our houses to look Christian because we all know what the really run-down houses look like, right? We, we know what they, we, 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 we know what it looks like when people make terrible life choices. They never go to church. They're the ones whose lives are full of drama. They get the cops called on them. They don't care about marriage when it comes to sex. They don't keep up the morality yard like they should. There's all kinds of houses that we think are built on the sand. Yet the Sermon on the Mount reminds us that those are not the only houses built on sand. There are many houses, many neighborhoods of houses that look on the outside nearly identical to houses that are built on the rock, but that are not founded on the rock. There are houses that are not run down, not full of drama, not openly adversarial to Jesus, but built on the sand nonetheless. There's people who go to church and work hard and serve the community and live by Nebraska Nice. I wonder, friends, who is at the greater risk? At least those whose lives are a mess can see it. They might, by God's eye-opening grace, see their need. And in that seeing, they may, by God's grace, through his Holy Spirit, turn to Jesus. Poor in spirit, mourning their sin. Turn to him, to the, to the sweet and sufficient and saving gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to heal the sick, not the well. I think much of the Sermon on the Mount is aimed at those whose houses look really nice on the outside. I think that's why way back in Matthew 5.20, Jesus said these astonishing words. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is the, the, the grand foundation inspector coming in 
and saying, you know what? The, the walls look nice, the roof looks nice, but there's no foundation here. Turn and repent and trust the gospel. He is graciously warning us that our house might be on sand and not on the rock. So we see how each of these houses are built. We see the beginning and we see the ongoing present, the day-to-dayness of these houses too, don't we? Note that the verb does in verse 24 is in the present tense. There is an ongoing doing in view here. The, The one who is like the wise builder continues to follow Jesus. And you know what that tells us? That it tells us that this is not just, Jesus is not just referring to a one-time decision that is like in your past and stays there. I, I do believe that following Christ has a start in your life. I believe that. For, for my part, actually, my own story, I remember the day when I was confronted with the gospel for the first time and, and believed I was 16. I, 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 I saw it for the first time and trusted in Christ. I, I know when I began to follow Jesus, for me, it was very clear. It was a very memorable day. And I know that that's not the story for all of you. I know that that's not all of our stories. Many of you were saved very young. You came to Christ very young and you don't really remember not being a Christian, right? Some of you, it feels like it was a, it was a process over time as you made the faith your own, it's valid. That's good. You, maybe you can't point to a day on the calendar. Either way, if you're a genuine Christian, it did have a beginning in your life. But, and here's my point, that beginning is not the whole story of your life. It's not the whole story of the gospel's work in your life. It is the mere beginning through the gospel and God's gracious work in our lives through Jesus and the way he opens our eyes to the spirit, we become doers of the word of God, doers of Christ. We, we, we follow Jesus, the one who builds his house on the rock and not, is not the one who simply can point to a day on the calendar when he made a decision or he went through some religious ceremony or he whatever, What Jesus is saying here is that the one who is like the wise builder is the one who does the words of Jesus. He hears and he does. He is the one who is following Christ. And that's the very definition of Christian. It is the one who follows Jesus Christ, who follows him to the cross. That is one who trusts in him and his saving grace, that what he accomplished for us on on, on Calvary was enough that... It's not my righteousness, it's his that I look to, I trust in him. And it follows him out of the tomb and into the new life and lives after that risen reality. The one who is like the wise builder is the one who presently follows Jesus Christ. He's the one who is the doer of the words of Christ. The, the present of the, of the foolish one is not like that at all, is it? He hears, but he does not do. So you can see a past history of each of these houses. You can see the present of each of these houses. And where we're going now, you can see the future of each of these houses. So much is similar about these houses, but both houses are built by hearers of Jesus. Both builders build houses. The, the houses both might even look similar on the outside, 
both experience and will experience rains and floods and winds. And that's where the similarities of this language ends and the stark contrast between the two begins. Because one stands on that day, one stands, and the other house pancakes down and is rubble, is destroyed. I know, I know, every Sunday for the last four weeks, we have tried to impress you with the seriousness of these warnings every, every week. And the reason is not because I have some like strange occupation with eternal damnation or because I love to talk about hell. I don't love to talk about hell. I don't like the word hell. I'm not occupied with eternal damnation, but the reason why we have to do this and why I keep preaching this way is because Jesus is doing that at the end of his sermon. Most of chapter seven of Matthew is Jesus graciously yet severely warning you and me about hell. I hope you will have ears to hear this because this is Jesus saying not to go on the wide way that leads to destruction or be the branch that gets thrown into the fire. Or be the one to whom Jesus says, depart from me, I didn't know you, I never knew you. Or be like the builder whose house does not stand in the storm, but collapsed and great was the fall of it. To be a mere hearer of Christ's words and not a doer is a deadly thing to be. It's a deadly thing to be. So friends, here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, will you hear the warning? For your own life, will you hear it? Do not build your your house, your life on sand. It will not stand in the end. It will fall and great will be the fall of it. Will you instead hear Jesus' warning this morning and follow him? And will you hear his promise? There's a promise here in this passage. It's not just warning. There's a promise. We get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and we are indeed confronted with yet another warning, but also presented with a precious promise. Uh, Read with me again here, verses 24 through 25. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. It did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. Oh, what a precious promise that is. If your hope and faith and life is bound up with Christ, you will be like the wise man whose house, founded on the rock, stands on that day. Oh, what a promise. Your house will not fall. That is such good news for you and such good news for me. Life is so hard, right? The winds sometimes blow really hard. It's helped me to live in the howling plains these many years. I, I know what that, when I, when I candidated here, um, it was really windy that weekend. And I asked one of the guys here who'd lived here his whole life, I said, hey, is it always this windy here? And he looked at me with a straight face and said, no, nah, this is really unusual. <laughs> so like, you know, after moving here, three weeks of wind, I, I write him a text and say, what, what was that all about? <laughs> and he says, it's the Howling Plains. Who doesn't know it blows here? 
We know, we know what the wind, we know what it feels like to have the wind howl all night long. You know what I mean? And your house do like make weird noises all night. You know what that feels like, right? What a great metaphor for life. Life is hard like that. Temptations and sin and the allure of the world and scorn from the world, it's all very hard. The wind often blows hard. But you can have hope, right? We can have hope if your hope is in Jesus, because of this precious promise, you know that your house will stand in the wind and the rain and the floods and even the final judgment. That is the confidence that you have today if your hope, friend, is in Jesus Christ. And that is a reality that is ours because our Savior went to the cross and he died in our place. And on the third day, he rose again and defeated death forever so that our houses might be built on a rock so sure and so strong that it will never fall. You hear these words, the Sermon on the Mount, and you do them because you know who it is that said them. You know him. You know he is trustworthy. You know that he knows the best way for your life. You know it is safe to follow him, even if the winds are blowing and the rain is, and the floods are coming. You know. You know how secure all those who are in him are today and will be forever. What a precious promise we are confronted with at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're left with this wonderful promise. Your house will not fall. I love that. It is founded on the rock of Christ. As the hymnist said, and I'll just close with this and pray. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. My righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I pray Oh, Lord, we pray, we pray together that we would not just look at the outward facade of our houses and think, it's all good, it's a good house, but that we would look at the foundation and that that foundation would be Jesus Christ and his righteousness because all other ground is sinking sand and we dare not trust anything other than Christ. Lord, I pray that if there are, are those here, and I'm sure there are some who come here not, not understanding the gospel, not believing. I pray that they will seek out another believer here today who will help them see the greatest news in all of life, help them to build their house on the rock. I pray today that, this, that you'd open their eyes, enlighten their hearts, and give them new life. And Lord, I pray you'd help each of us to not just be mere hearers of the word, of words of Jesus. We've, we've spent a whole year thinking about this sermon. Help us not to just have heard it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be doers. In Jesus' name, amen.